Welcome everyone to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide. My name is Steve Gunley. I'm sorry if I seem a little distressed. I'm 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 trying to run this podcast, but I I'm I'm but a simple farmer. I don't think I can run this podcast by myself. I I need I need at least two samurai, I think, to come in and help me host this. But oh, who would come help a farmer like me? Who else? What? Uh, two strangers have arrived. Who? Who are you, strangers? Uh, I am a hot-headed farmer's child pretending to be a cool guy, and maybe one day I'll earn my honor. Uh, I'm J-Ban. Welcome, everyone. Uh, so today we are talking about the movie Seven Samurai from 1954. This is a J-Ban's pick. J-Ban is keeping that torch alight of choosing the classiest, most distinguished films that have the most bizarre, loose game adaptations <laughs> you can possibly come up with on that one. Uh, so, Jabin, this was this was your pick. Why did you choose Seven Samurai? Uh, well, I love Akira Kurosawa, and I love samurai films, and I feel like so many video games and movies have stemmed from uh, Kurosawa's... Um, films that I just really wanted to do it and I was also like it's so interesting because we'll get into it on the game portion but I feel like the closest adaptation is probably Ghost of Tsushima and, yeah and instead we got this sort of abomination of Samurai <laughs> 20x um so I'm just like I'm fascinated with people taking this sort of seminal film and transforming it into whatever they transformed it into um for the video game adaptation yeah they transformed it into something all right yeah go ahead just I, I think uh i've never seen this movie before as often i was seeing it for the first time and as i was watching it there was so much media whether it be games movies tv shows that i've seen in my life where i was like uh oh you know I, in my head, I was always like, oh, this is like in whatever thing. And this is like whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. This was from the 50s. Everything I pretty much consumed in my life came after this. So all of the things it reminded me of were probably pretty heavily uh, influenced by Seven Samurai. The concept yeah. of uh, a somewhat ragtag group of warriors defending the, the innocent farm people uh, is so common throughout like there's an episode of star wars the clone wars that has this exact premise yeah like, there's so many different things over the course of uh media that have pulled from these kind of concepts and ideas uh and i think that uh to see the original was such an interesting thing uh kind of the opposite of the way a lot of people it, find things which is like hey you know i'm watching this new thing it reminds me of this thing i watched back in the day like oh right. this is probably uh like oh i get this reference for me it was like oh this is this is the source of so much you're uh, you're exactly right with that like seven samurai is such like a rosetta stone kind of movie in in so many ways like it's been it's one of the most wildly influential and important films ever made just because 
uh, we're still kind of feeling the ripple effects of this film, like all of the different innovations and the storytelling mechanics and the plotting and everything that this movie does so beautifully well is still kind of resonating to the point where like we got a new remake of this last year with that terrible Rebel Moon movie, you know, like this is a, a concept that's still very much alive and uh, just just an incredible important uh magnificent film that is sort of hard to talk about it's the same problem we have with vertigo where it's just like okay well what the hell else can i some dork with a podcast say about seven samurai that hasn't already been said yeah uh, it's it's a it's a fun challenge but it was also a great excuse to kind of dip back into this movie i've only seen it once before and it's probably been close to 20 years since i saw it uh and god damn does it hold up so well let me let me drop some uh early stats and figures about this movie uh, we can get into the discussion here seven samurai was released april 24th 1954 it's directed by akira kurosawa and it stars and i apologize in advance for butchering so many of these names uh toshiro mifune takashi shimura keiko tsushima isao kumura daisuke kaito seiji miyachi yoshio inaba and minoru chiaki um so akira kurosawa i think this is the only time we're going to get to directly talk about him on this show um because he's generally considered one of the best filmmakers ever made or ever not ever made <laughs> he was made by his parents <laughs> but uh well generally considered one of the best filmmakers alive uh and seven samurai is perhaps his best known and best loved film uh, it's it's an action epic that's kind of left its imprint on almost every action film that's followed and it this is kind of responsible there's a we have a one-two punch of 1954 that kind of redefines Japanese cinema because this is the year we get both Seven Samurai and the original Godzilla. So in the course of one year, pretty much everything that anyone knows about uh, Japanese cinema at this point, it, it kind of originates here. You know, this is introducing so many Westerners to what Japanese cinema is all about. And this was one that uh, we'll, we'll discover was kind of, uh, it, it took a while for it to find its audience over here. Um, but Kurosawa, let's talk about him. He was born in Tokyo in 1910, and he worked his way up through the Japanese film industry. He directed his first film in 1943. It was called Senshiro Sugata. It was a popular action film released at the height of World War II. And then his second film, Drunken Angel, came out in 1948, and it was the first time he would collaborate with a very intense young actor named Toshiro Mifune. The two would go on to make 16 movies together, including the one that we are talking about today. But Kurosawa's real breakout came in 1950 with the movie Rashomon, which went on to be an international hit, and it won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. Uh, Rashomon is an incredible movie, really groundbreaking in its storytelling mechanics. Uh, because if you're not familiar with that movie, it's it's a, a crime being told from three different perspectives, totally different stories from the perspectives of the three people who are involved in this crime. Uh, and so it's a really interesting way of kind of examining these false narratives and like unreliable eyewitnesses while also talking about the feudal Japanese court system. Uh, Jay, have you seen Rashomon? Yeah, of course. Oh, uh, it's so uh, well, it's so funny because I was going to ask, uh, what, do you have a favorite uh, Kurosawa film? Because my favorite is Yojimbo. Uh, oh, I, I can't get past the opening a little of a little dog just walking through a town with a fucking severed hand in his mouth like, like <laughs> i feel like it's one of the best opening shots i've ever or shots of film i've ever seen in my it's entire so good. life 
Uh, Which one? That that one was remade, right? That's one of the um, Sergio Leone uh, yeah, uh, Man with No the, Name uh, movies, right? The, the fist, uh, um, the fistful of dollars, um, or a few dollars. Movies, well, I don't remember which one it uh, is. Yes, it's one uh, of those. It was based on Yojimbu. Uh, yeah, but um, it's so interesting. But then again, uh, I I do think maybe my favorite favorite might be High and Low, but Yojimbu mm. was for really a long time. Uh, and it's just like, uh, the making is just like, it's, it makes you like, I feel like I salivate at the pictures of like, I feel like everything about every, like, you know, every frame is a painting to quote, uh, you know, to mm. say things that have been said before, but yeah, uh, yeah. things that I find really interesting is that Kurosawa, uh, was one of the writers on this project. Yeah. Uh, and um and he was the editor on this project which yeah. is spectacular spectacular editing yeah uh, at a time when it's editing wasn't just on your computer it was like a a full body process of of cutting film and shifting it around and it's just it's such genius editing uh on a film that's um three and a half hours long but doesn't feel three and a half hours i mean the, that's kind of the amazing thing uh, luckily they had an intermission because you're like yes um, yeah it's it's one of those things yeah we'll uh, we'll we'll get to the length because i have a lot to say about that length but uh if, if i'm gonna say a favorite kurosawa like i know he's best known for his like samurai epics for for seven samurai for ron things like that but um I really love Ikiru, which is just yeah. a very small, uh, beautiful story about a man who discovers he's dying and like what he does with the rest of his life. Like, uh, absolutely devastatingly beautiful, heartbreaking movie. Um, but you really can't go wrong. I mean, he had I such mean, an unbelievable run. You know, he had yeah. You mentioned from Ken Bay. Uh, yeah, yeah. The actor is just has shows so much versatility, and Toshiro Mifune also shows so much versatility throughout his career throughout his collaboration oh. with Akira Kurosawa yeah but I, so Toshiro Mifune he, he plays Kikichiro here and he uh generally considered maybe the best Japanese actor to live uh he mm -hmm. he's so intense he's so uh he, he's just got so much like raw nerve macho energy which is very very different from what Japanese actors were kind of being encouraged to do at the time. It was more about being restrained and being kind of patient. If you, there, uh, I think the two Japanese filmmakers that people talk about in the same breath are usually Akira Kurosawa and Yasujiro Ozu. And Ozu's films are always very, they're very quiet. They're very, yeah. calm. they're all about uh, uh, implos implosive emotions, you know? And so to see Toshiro Mifune kind of charge through this movie, yelling and screaming and making a fool of himself and just being this wild ball of charisma, uh, it's really incredible. You know, for, for all of those like great director-actor pairings that people talk about, like uh, Mifune and Kurosawa was maybe one of the most rich. I also found his uh, penchants for not wearing pants very interesting. <laughs> he just the amount of times yeah the amount of times that he was just like in his underwear and then like i think by the end of the movie he's barely he's just wearing like uh rags as a shirt like yeah. as a choice like not because i have to but because i want to yeah uh, it's it's so interesting to have somebody who 
sticks out so far from the rest of the characters. Yeah. Um, cons- like, and doesn't really start to conform. Yeah. Like, even down to the very end, he's very much playing that character as, like, the opposite of the rest of the samurai. Well, you have to love that their flag is just six circles and a triangle, you know, like where he is, he is very much like, yeah, no, where, where am I on this? That's obviously you. It's like, you are one of us, but you are not really one of us. Like you're your own, you're your own energy. Uh, I mean, so this movie, when it came out, like this was one of those films that uh, the Japanese media certainly thought was going to be kind of a boondoggle. It took more than a year to shoot this, which is an insanely long amount of time for 1954. It became quickly the most expensive film in Japanese history because it, it required such expansive sets and like so many extras and all these different props and costumes and everything like that. And uh, the studio kept canceling funding for Kurosawa and he would just kind of like sit back. It's just like, all right, well, you know, I guess I'm just going to wait until they give me my money back because I'm not going to, they don't want to just sit here with this unfinished movie. Uh, and so eventually he won out and he was right. And the movie came out and was a massive, massive hit. I think it was the best selling Japanese movie of that year. Again, in the year that Godzilla came out, you know, and Godzilla would wind up being just this eternal franchise for, for the whole country of Japan. Um, but Kurosawa was not immediately embraced despite this popularity. A lot of critics were very dismissive of him. And a lot of it was because he was really embracing like a Western ethos in a lot of his films. Uh, when again, like to compare him to Otsu, who is like very, very uh, incredibly Japanese, like and and um, steeped in that entire culture. This movie is drawing influences from American Westerns and yeah, European art films. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And that was just not really done at the time. But I think now we look at it as this is one of those movies that kind of helped make cinema sort of an international language and make it kind of one of those things that unites us because this did eventually get a release over here in 1956 i believe it was they trimmed it down by more than an hour i imagine they took a lot of mafuni's butt out of that cut <laughs> for a 1950s audience give us the uh, butt trimmed cut. It down and they released it ironically as the magnificent seven uh, and it wasn't until the 1960 Western remake of the film, which was also called The Magnificent Seven, came out uh, that the original film went back to the name Seven Samurai and the complete runtime was restored. And nowadays, I don't think you could even find that mangled cut because everybody just sort of it's like agrees that this is the this is the way to go by it. But yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about this length a little bit, because, uh, you know. I don't know if other people are like me and like to watch movies along with the podcasts about movies they listen to. If I don't know if people are uh, listening or watching the movies ahead. But, you know, this is a movie you really do need to set a little bit of time aside for. I, I was checking the list, and I'm pretty sure this is the longest movie we're ever going to cover. Um, there's one movie that comes There's one movie that comes close. Uh, Godfather Part Two is five minutes shorter than this. So not enough of a difference to really matter, but... This one is, it's a three and a half hour long movie. And it's its an incredible thing because you are, obviously you're going to be aware of physical time passing. You know, you are going to look out the window and see that the sun has moved. But I do not feel that time passing in this movie at all. I don't know how he does it. I don't know what kind of trick he's stumbled upon with pacing. Uh, and I don't know why everybody hasn't just ripped this off eternally because he found the secret to just kind of making this movie feel so effortless. Like this is absolutely a movie that 
could feel like an eat your vegetables movie. This could feel like, uh, uh, okay, I need to check this off the list if I want to be considered a serious film fan. But then you sit to watch it, and this thing is so fun. It's really, yeah. really fun. I uh, think so definitely. Sorry, go ahead, Justin. Uh, I I had a, a different experience with it because mm. uh, I have been. I watched it in two parts. I watched oh. half of it last night, and then uh, the only reason why I stopped watching it was because I felt tired, and then I was like, "What time is? It? Oh, I should go to bed. Mm -hmm. I have work." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, but otherwise, yeah, no, I, I thought it was uh, a good use of, of pacing and stuff to really make you feel like things are happening in real time with the right cuts to, like, jump. Uh, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's exactly that. Like, even when you, th when you look over the plot, like, if you were to read a Wikipedia summary of this, like, it's not a movie that's necessarily, like, full of incident. You know, like some movies are really long, but it's like, oh, yeah, well, there's there's a million subplots that they're they're tying together. Like there's a whole other thing there. We're watching people go from birth to death. You know, it's a whole epic. This movie isn't really that like the beats of the story can be explained pretty simply. It's it's I just both times I've seen this. I had the same experience of like, wait, why was that movie that long? I didn't know. I just didn't notice it. You know, you, you think back on it, it just slides right off. The vignettes unto themselves like mm. the obvious example is uh when ken bay uh shapes his head to save the little boy uh and yeah. it's, an, it's like it's an amazing aside and then um it's just so like it's so stunning to see this man shave his head and um and cut his hair which is you know means significant sacrifice in that country and then throughout the film he just keeps rubbing his head uh, mm -hmm. he's still not used yeah to um and it's just his affectation uh, yeah. and uh the the gathering of forces in the nearby town where they're just like oh um let's uh let's surprise these samurai by hitting them over the head um, <laughs> and it's just such a like it's such efficient storytelling that's also such fun storytelling like um i uh uh heihachi uh hmm. the guy who uh cuts the wood and he's just like and the guy is like he's not a good fighter but he's so charming yeah <laughs> yeah he he was actually my favorite character i was like every time he was on the screen i was like yeah this is great just like a little bit of a smile came across my face oh yeah because he that he legitimately and that they made the point but he legitimately was the one who always kind of brought spirits up and made things feel give that feel of camaraderie that uh makes the movie not as bleak as it could have been yes this, definitely... this movie is a lot of desperation a lot of time do you think uh, so there's an interesting part and i'm like i'm wondering whether or not um peter jackson just took this scene for like uh completely out lifted it out of the movie or the scene when uh Gollum is fishing and yeah. Fune is fishing <laughs> i just feel like it's just like uh peter peter jackson did you did you lift that was that a thing that you lifted directly from this movie um, I, I i would not be surprised as we know there's a very rich tradition of like western filmmakers just completely lifting uh kira kurosawa movies i mean uh, you know how it, it, a lot's been said about how much of uh 
Hidden Fortress was used to make Star Wars. You know, yeah. like so much of that went into that, and and of course the uh, the Man with No Name trilogy, the Magnificent Seven, everything. That, I put it together like after watching this movie for the first time that like, oh, this is the Bug's Life. Like I never realized <laughs> until I was watching. I'm like, oh shit, the Bug's Life is just Seven Samurai. I had no idea. Like even down to the number of bugs. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's an express like reference. You know. I mean, that's just that's so cool that it would endure in that way and like find so much. Uh, I mean, because this is such a it's a fantastic setup for a movie. It's a great premise because it combines a lot of different tropes that I think we've gotten used to. Like there's the it, it's an underdog story. It's also a getting the band back together story. It's also a boot camp movie and there's a romance in there and there's like uh, it's a war yeah. film. It's a brothers in arms movie. And it's also a comedy about like these wild guys and the shenanigans they get up to well, you know the oh good uh so what something that i think that's in this movie that i feel like we really neglect in a lot of movies nowadays and again part of that is the transition of time is the class system and how samurai and farmers are very different classes uh and that meant a lot and uh i find it really interesting that uh there's sort of like being confined to your class and also um, escaping your class, uh, like uh, Tashira Mifune's character is attempting to do, but mm -hmm. also in this very buffoonery way because he's um, he's he's being portrayed as being outlandish because he's trying to escape his heritage, uh, and I, I think it's so interesting um, to see the the antag antagonism between different social classes uh, in Japan. And I feel like that's really, like, unless you're watching Downton Abbey, uh, there's not a lot of uh, commentary um, lately about yeah. the class system. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, Toshiro Mifune is so much of the secret sauce of this movie, I think, because originally Kurosawa wanted this to just be six samurai um, and he wanted to be very serious and wanted to focus, like you were saying, on the class structures, on kind of the more dour elements of it. And I think adding Mifune in here as this sort of wild card character, just sort of it, it's a it's a rising tide, right? Raises all boats kind of thing. You know, I think everything in this movie benefits from the energy that he's bringing. This is a very strange character that's unlike anything else we've seen at this point because he is he is a hero for sure, but he's also a liar. He's also a con man. He's also maybe insane. Uh, <laughs> maybe. He's not necessarily the most reliable guy, but he does kind of earn his place and like becomes embraced by these guys who who know he's full of shit like they know he's nuts but they can see that there's some goodness in him like behind all of these these conditions that sort of made him so it makes every other character look more sympathetic and strong because of their relations to him it makes the villagers that much more appealing because of how quickly they glom onto him and it makes him more appealing because of how much of a goofy showboat he is he loves entertaining He'll fall off the horse. He'll catch the fish. He's like he's goofing with the children. You know, he's he's a fun guy, and uh, that well, that's really just helps so much. Well, and it's so interesting the difference between Koizo going after the musket and then him going after the yeah. musket being a clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love yeah. how when uh, Kaizo goes and gets the musket, 
he he goes and he comes back and he has it and he's like i killed two people and you're like okay he mm-hmm. went in and like did he he did work and then uh Hikichio, is that how to pronounce i think uh, so that's how i said i'm i'm sure i'm m- yeah all oh, the pronunciations but uh phonetically it's Kikichio. he goes in and just disguises himself as one of them <laughs> Yeah, and then just like hangs out with the dude with the musket for a little bit. Even shows. at one point, like reaches over, kind of holds onto it, looks it over, passes it back, and only after he's he gives the guy the musket back, and then kind of gently pulls his sword out and waits for the guy to realize that, oh, you're not one of us. Yeah. Then does he go after the guy? Uh, like he was playing a game as while he was doing it. Uh, yeah just like very different levels of style and professionalism (laughs) and you know there's there there aren't really that's another way you could have padded out the length of this thing like you can justify it's three and a half hours because oh we need to spend a certain amount of time with each character getting to know exactly who they are and where they came from we don't really get that necessarily but we also completely understand immediately who these guys are you know we they they don't feel like tropes necessarily but we do know we know who they are and that's kind of the benefit of having a teen movie like this and that's why that's been such a popular formula going forward because you can easily just like put a pin on any of these guys and know who they are like it's it's the same ethos that informs everything from the dirty dozen to predator you know like you just you you get a bunch of distinctive looking guys and that's kind of all you need to know to inform their character. You know, yeah. we have the uh, the the brash young kid who's you know trying to charge in with all these samurai, and then he becomes love struck, and you know, then you've got the grizzled lieutenant, and you've got the old man trying to make right, and you've got the comic relief. Like they, these are these are tropes that we recognize, but it just adds that much more texture. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's such a good job of showing showing who they are instead of telling who they are yeah Uh, and it's it's the balance between showing and telling that i think this movie does really well because if you show too much depending on what you're trying to show sometimes that can be time consuming if you tell too much that kind of robs the movie of of depth and i think the balance between showing and telling in this movie is very good yeah Uh, you know who everybody is you even get an idea of the villagers and stuff um uh one thing we haven't mentioned which was probably obvious by this movie it's not in english it's in japanese so you're watching it with subtitles but even then uh especially as time goes on there's less and less dialogue and more and more like feelings and emotions and stuff yeah and it really really good job of just balancing all of that and still telling an incredible story well, it's it's so earned at that point. Yeah, go ahead, you. Well, and it's just so much fun when uh, he lingers on a face and you see all the emotions being played on the face. Uh, acting, ah, uh, cinematography, ah, uh, so good. Oh, I mean, even like I, I was looking for some stills of this movie to use for like social media posts, and I'm just like, oh god, every freeze frame of this movie just looks so gorgeous and so painterly and just so beautifully composed you know it, it's uh it's just kind of a joy to look at um you know yeah and you just you really feel all of these ripples you feel this very 
lived in world. And that kind of is a good argument to make for making this movie so long, even if it isn't overloaded with incident, it's that it feels incredibly lived in and the stakes feel so, uh, real because we've spent enough time with these poor helpless people we've seen them try to learn how to defend themselves a little bit we've seen their trials and we've gotten to know some of the villagers you know like poor yohai who keeps getting like smacked around and like uh, bullied in the whole time it's just like oh the poor guy he's just he's just you know an old man he's trying to help you know and we get little bits about like the other farmers like you know the 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 horrifying scene where his wife who had been kidnapped yes. by the bandits and made to be a concubine you know she throws herself back into the fire rather than face her husband again, you know, because uh, I, I, I read that there, you know, I read into that as like, she had some shame about what she had to do with the bandits and couldn't go back. But, you know, this, this, the latter, the, the, the final acts of this movie feel like it, it has kind of the scope of a war film, but the movie is really smart about reminding you exactly what the stakes are at here. This isn't like one army against another army. This is seven samurai and a couple of untrained villagers against 30 bandits. That's 40. it. We have 30 bandits. We get 40. to watch. 40. Is it 30? It's 40. 40. Oh, it's 40. Excuse me. Yeah. But you get to watch that list. Like they, they literally have a checklist in the movie and they're just kind of like marking them off. So we get to see the progress as it's going um, without having to have one big like chaotic war scene. You get lots of little battles, you know, and we lose some of the samurai and we definitely feel the stakes of that, uh, I believe we we end the movie with only three samurai left alive. And it is such a uh, it, it's the, it's such a powerful sentiment at the end of this movie, because Kanbai is kind of the whole it, he's he's like sort of the leader. He's the emotional center of this movie. He's the old man who's kind of agreeing to take on this mission. And he brings in all of his friends or the, all of these different samurai to help him. And he's one of the ones left standing when everything is said and done. He's undertaken this whole thing as a way to kind of regain his honor or find the the honor that he missed from his youth is about in the battlefield. And what he's come to realize is that there is no honor for a samurai, you know, and there is no honor in death or fighting or war, even if the cause is good. So it's this incredibly bittersweet ending where his altruistic act is kind of met with just more death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that's kind of a big thing is that that final few scenes of like the, the graves kind of in the background as they're watching the villagers celebrate and, and work, uh, is just like, yeah, that's, I don't think anybody won. Like no, nobody's, nobody's happy that this happened. Like obviously the villagers won and they get to survive, but like, they still lost there. There's still people that they will miss. There's people that are gone. Uh, four of the seven samurai are dead. Mm -hmm. uh, such yeah. a, a powerful scene of like, and then they're just standing there, not talking through most of it, just watching. Well, I think it's so interesting because the, the planting of rice, the starting of um, the season, and it's just like, it's such a beautiful, hopeful image, but when you pan back to the samurai, they're so defeated because they know that they don't belong there. Um, no. That they are ronin, they are masterless samurai, and that is their fate to go from place to place uh, working for um, their rice and like 
completely um, being um, afloat in society. There's not a place for them. Uh, no. And it's by, so yeah, by saving their home, they sacrifice their home. You know, this this place that they've come to think of as their home. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it's also interesting that the the reason why all of this happened is because their previous rice crop was taken from them by the bandits. Right. And so they had what little rice left and they were using that to pay the samurai. And then they're standing here as they're about to start growing the rice crop that this time they will probably get to keep. Mm -hmm. that will bring this village back to you know being not hungry not starving back to a regular life um and they're just like all right well uh what next this yeah. chapter's over and we are we're back to square one essentially as the samurai uh yeah they're probably happy about what they've done about the change, the difference that they've made, but then they're still homeless, basically. They're still just going wherever. Yeah, I mean, two of them, like, the the young man has just been completely disillusioned because he had this whole idea of what being a samurai was, and he didn't really reckon with the reality of it. And then the old man is disillusioned because he was hoping this would give him some kind of peace. And then, of course, there's just the one lieutenant who is always fine. Mm -hmm. He's just like... He's, he's that's why he's like such a good second lieutenant and that's why that trope has become so popular in movies like every war movie after this has the gruff commander and then he's got like the sure-handed guy who's next to him all the time like taking his orders and he's always going to be fine because he had his purpose is just to take those orders you know so maybe there's something to be said about that i don't know i don't think that's the point that this movie is trying to make but uh i just i do love that that character type uh in movies yeah, you know, you can you could really you could transpose so much of this. Like this is Saving Private Ryan is kind of a same situation. That's very here. similar. Like it's Saving Private similar. Ryan and Brand of Brothers were definitely yeah. really influenced by um like oh uh, and it's so interesting to see uh the romantic subplot was sort of like um I I feel like it was uh, that's probably one of the weakest parts of the movie. Mm. like the there's just a little bit of a um like this like oh my gosh you're a girl <laughs> <laughs> people in movies always really fall for that a short haircut is more than enough to just throw people off you know it's it's yentl syndrome you know it's just like oh well they got short hair couldn't be abroad <laughs> you know yeah i don't know why i made them jersey there i have no idea <laughs> hey you were the seven samurai what's up um, <laughs> we're I mean, walking here it's so interesting that she ignores him like she just turns away from him at the end she's like oh well i'm not my life's not in danger anymore you're not hot anymore um uh -huh. <laughs> bye yeah i can grow my hair back bye uh yeah i i mean there there's really so much to say about this movie and so many different levels that we could dig in on it um I think we should move on to the game a little bit because I do, this game is insane. I, I think it's setting up a really interesting kind of conflict between, I've noticed I've noticed this pattern. I don't know, the, the, it seems like the better, the more canonical, great movie that we watch, the worse the video game adaptations seem to understand the source material, <laughs> right? Cause like E.T., 
Vertigo, Jaws, this one. What 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 are else the, some of the really like classy ones that we've gotten to? Uh, uh, Balls of Fury. Um, yeah, that was a big one. But yeah, you know, so there there seems to be kind of this strange inverse relationship that I don't really understand because it feels to me like it should be rising to the occasion a little bit, right? Like, like you're, you're, you should be thinking like, oh man, I've got this, this property, like this really revered property, like the, the game version for, you know, the aforementioned balls of fury or Wayne's world or something should not be better than the one for seven samurai. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's get into that. This game is called seven samurai 20 XX. This came out March 12th, 2004. It was developed by Dimps and Polygon Magic, and it was published by Sammy, and this is a PS2 exclusive. Uh, so this is a game that came out almost 50 years exactly after the first film debuted, so it's kind of a commemorating uh, the release of it. Now, this, this retelling is extremely loose. It sets this film in the distant future, and it makes it closer in tone to a 2004 anime uh, manga series called Samurai 7 which was also a loose adaptation. However, the Kurosawa movie is kind of name-checked all over this thing. Like, if you're looking at the box art, like, it's mentioning the movie. It's not mentioning the anime or the man manga. It's mentioning the movie specifically. Um, and this, this game has some surprising heavy hitters behind the scenes. First of all, the character designs here were done by a, a French comic book artist named Mobius. Uh, if you don't know who Mobius is... He contributed designs to a lot of movies, uh, such as uh, Alien, Tron, The Abyss, The Fifth Element. Uh, so basically some of the best uh, produced, best looking movies of all time uh, he was involved in. And if you ever saw the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, which was about uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's efforts to make an adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune, uh, Mobius was doing all the designs for that movie. So check that film out if you want to see kind of what Mobius can do. Uh, and the music in this game was composed by Ryuichi Sakamoto, who is an Academy Award winner, one of the most influential and accomplished musicians in Japan. He was also an actor. He starred in the movie uh, Goodbye, Mr. Lawrence with David Bowie. Um, like a really overpowered like people behind the scenes for this game. Uh, but despite all that pedigree, it was met largely with dismissive uh, reviews. Most people criticized the game for being very poorly paced and kind of shallow. Um, for people listening who can't tell, this this episode is remote. Uh, I had some scheduling snafus that uh, these two were uh, kind enough to accommodate. So we are recording remotely. We weren't able to play the game all together in the same room. Uh, so y'all watched some uh, Let's Plays, and I got to play a little bit of the hands-on. I uh, got a little hands-on time with the game itself. Having played through it, it may be a little different from watching from your guys' watching experience, but having played through this a little bit, uh, I do certainly have to agree with the shallow part. Because something that you may not be able to tell in the Let's Play is that the controls in this game are incredibly simple. This is just a hack and slash like action game. You know, you walk from room to room, you slash up all the enemies, you move on. Uh, you get one attack button, one guard button, and that's it. So you're not like linking together combos or something. You are pressing the square button a whole lot as rapidly as you can until everybody on the screen is dead. Was that really coming across watching the Let's Plays? It really did come across. And it was so silly about how you have seven samurai and you only get to play as one. And you don't... What a missed opportunity, right? Well, yeah. The character you do play as doesn't have defining, defining characteristics 
other than that was too easy um, <laughs> after killing people, which I'm just like, oh, no one in the movie says that. Uh, no. Like, there's not that breadth of seriousness um, for just a second. Like, uh, I can't believe I didn't mention how fantastic the score was. The score was oh, amazing. Yeah. It's really just like there, there's a weird confluence between the cutscenes in this game and then the actual gameplay itself. So the cutscenes are it's it's kind of telling the story. It's it is hitting some of the same beats as Seven Samurai the film. Like it is hitting a lot of those same beats. Uh, but the cutscenes, the world of this game seems to be very lively. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of like joking and ribaldry and things like that. And then you cut into the game. And it's just walking down a completely empty hallway, beating the shit out of six dozen like identical-looking robots, and then moving on to the next identical-looking hallway. And I, I think Japen hit on a great point. Uh, it's a hack and slash. You play as one character out of a potential of seven-ish characters you could possibly play as. Yeah. Um, you don't get to obviously you're locked into the one like there's no option to play as anybody else and that one character is ultimately pretty shallow in gameplay uh so what that means is uh the the play that i had watched was a five and a half ish hour playthrough yeah and if you're gonna play five and a half hours as one character with really there's no development. The character doesn't change. Uh, you don't get new attacks or abilities or anything throughout. Uh, that's exactly what every successful hack and slash doesn't do. Yeah. The, the successful ones either have multiple characters that all play unique play styles, or you can take from like the Batman Arkham series of uh, you're getting new gadgets and getting new abilities uh, to just have a static character throughout the whole game is not interesting no especially one like j-band said he he really doesn't have much of a personality of his own i mean he's not even like just a silent protagonist he he talks he just doesn't really say anything of interest you know or do anything that really makes him stand out and um, so the gameplay has this mechanic uh they, they have this special overpowered move called the, the uh, nito ryo mode Basically, you just tap the the two front triggers and you'll become like super powerful for like 45 seconds. You'll get two swords, you'll do more damage, and all of your attacks will be more stylish. Once that meter runs down, it takes maybe 10 seconds for it to reload and you can just hit it again. So there's really no reason not to constantly be activating this mode, which brings to mind for me, why not just make the whole game that? Why do I need to play these little spurts where my attacks are weaker and less fun uh, when you can just kind of make it, you know, and as you go along the game, you'll gradually very, very slowly, like build up your health bar and everything like that. And you can ex reduce the amount of time that recharge takes, you uh, know, so you're basically already removing it. So why not just remove it entirely and make it a much more fun game? So I think it's interesting um, talking about this game and talking about this movie when the you'd say the the honest heir to this movie would be Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, and um, like I, I love the fact they have a Kurosawa mode. I don't know if you know this. Uh, but I they do. Play, and yeah, I played it in that. Yeah. Um, it's just such a beautiful movie. Uh, I mean, video game, and it's just mm -hmm. so interesting. Um, to see that. Um, which I really feel like is an heir to Seven Samurai compared to this, which is I do think that you could 
transpose Seven Samurai onto the future. I did not watch Rebel Moon. Uh, no. But, um, like, I feel like it's something that you could do. And I feel like there's so many easy. video games like Final Fantasy or the Final Fantasy series that have the um, team up that have actual consequences and friendships and uh, an actual connection between uh, the the party. Um, yeah. So, uh, but this yeah, one, yeah. This this really did feel like I, I think you hit it on the head. It really feels like warmed over uh, Final Fantasy in its design like you know i i was i was singing the praises of the french designer who kind of contributed character uh designs here but you really don't feel it you know you don't get to see a lot of the really good like clever designs it's a very brown game uh everything just looks kind of rusty and occasionally you'll find like populated areas where you can exchange like two sentences with npcs uh but it's mostly this is just going to be shuffling you around from point to point with these little arrows uh, and the game is very, very easy, like to the point where I played a good, I think, four chapters of this game. I don't know if I took any damage. Now, you guys have seen me play video games before. You know I'm not <laughs> prodigiously gifted or anything. This is not a humble brag. I've, I got my ass kicked at Wally -E a couple of times. This game, uh, I, I don't think I ever took any damage. If I did, I healed it up fast enough that I didn't even notice, you know, because you can... You can slash, you can counter, and if you just keep going back and forth between the square and triangle buttons and then turning on your little power mode, then, like, you really don't need to think about it. Which is why I might throw a curve here and say, I think this is a game I might go back and finish, mm -hmm. despite not liking, because <laughs> this was really triggering something for my ADHD. This was... This was the the video game equivalent of taking like a long hot shower and having like you just letting your intrusive thoughts go, you know, like that. That was what was happening with me. <laughs> Are with you this saying game. it's like the Candy Crush of Samurai? It's, it, it's kind, yeah, yeah. It kind of is. Like I, it is really hard for me to tune things out. It is really hard for me to kind of slow down and like uh, focus on one thing at a time. This game really did that for me. I was zoned right out. I was just kind of repetitively hacking through things. I wrote like two comedy sketches, like while I was just sitting there in my head. I'm just like, oh, I came up with two new premises for comedy sketches. I'm like, oh, shit. I, I usually only think of things like this when I'm in the shower because I'm undistracted by things. So I think this game is going to be a boon ultimately for my creative output. Uh, and I need to finish it up. And it's only like, like you said, Justin, it's like a five hour game. So this isn't even that big of an investment, you know? I love how that's a thrilling endorsement for a game. <laughs> like it helps it me off your brain. It's it's so boring. It helps me turn off my brain uh, or take my brain away from everything else and use it for what I want to use it for. I mean, Which you know, that's, it's not it's not the most ringing endorsement, but it, it it strikes that kind of bad game sweet spot where it's just competent enough that I feel like I'm not banging my head against the wall. Like the controls work, like you're you're slashing through. Like the game will slow down to the point of a crawl when there's too many characters on screen. Weirdly, the character that makes the game or the enemy that makes the game slow down every single time is like the the redheaded werewolf guy. <laughs> also, this game has you fighting werewolves and robots and robot monkeys. Uh, so that's a pretty different thing from the bandits in uh, the movie. But yeah, but the game was slowing down a lot. But 
but it stayed just competent enough that I wasn't frustrated with it. It's so easy that it's effortless and it's, it's just kind of dumb enough to kind of keep me into it. So like, I'm not recommending this game, but I am going to play it. I don't know. I don't know how to justify that to myself, but uh, I am going to do that. And uh, they also refer to people as humanoids because, you know, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not? Like, because, yeah, that didn't even really make sense. Because aren't they just humans? No, the the humanoids are robot humans, and I I don't know. Like, oh. I also those are not. It was um a little nod to the Omega verse. If you don't know that what that is, uh, good for you. Uh, oh, okay, God, is this, this thing I was introduced this, to. Yeah, okay, this came up in a chat thread once, and I still am very confused about what this thing is. But we, I guess, don't we don't need to go it. into it. Okay. But yeah, uh, there's a, there's a few people out there who are nodding heavily at Omega verse. You know what that is, but yeah. It, it is in that weird kind of fascinating zone where like, and Jabin, I think you were having the same struggle where you said like, you might actually go back and finish the vertigo game just because we don't <laughs> like leaving things unfinished, you know, and it was kind of just sort of barely competent enough that you sort of want to hate watch it in a way, you know, like I, I don't think this game is like maliciously bad. It just feels really lazy and uh, uh, kind of tossed off for as prestigious a license and as prestigious a crew they had working on this. And it's so interesting. I'm like, they must have been adapting something that was already in existence because why not just make a samurai game? You know what yeah. I mean? Just yeah, 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 yeah. The Sanjuku period uh, uh, or like, uh, you know, any period of like, you know, the latter part of the, um, the 1600s is just like mm -hmm. a really great time period um for um samurai films and samurai uh media uh um, i hear that new uh shogun show on fx is fantastic i need to I check that out watch it i know it dropped last night but i was watching seven samurai last yeah. night <laughs> <laughs> on uh, brand yeah I, I read the books when i was a teenager or the book when i was a teenager and i fucking loved it um and uh, when i was in grad school i i studied a lot of the Portuguese um um uh, I had a class on the the Portuguese empire uh, oh yeah and so in uh, their uh, re their interactions with uh Japan so it's really interesting um uh this very very disparate cultures um and well, I uh, want to check it out I know Hiroyuki Sonata's in there and he always rules he's an incredible yeah. actor um i've heard really good things about it i'm definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna watch it um i will and it's gonna be really interesting because um like the book was so good um one hopes that the movie um the movie is similarly good yeah but, look, as yeah. somebody who just watched the live action avatar show i don't know about that yeah i heard that i heard that one doesn't really hold up yeah not not well yeah but hey, I, I hear the One Piece one is fun though. Oh yeah, seems like seems like they got that one right. But you know, uh, yeah, this this is definitely well. A, it's making me want to replay Ghost of Tsushima because uh, it, it's been a little bit, and I think they released like a director's cut version of that game, which is unusual to happen for games. But like, there's uh, more content. Yeah, DLC. I want to say Ika Island. I'm not sure. Oh, cool. Um, that was supposed to be really good. Um. You know they're making a movie of that game. That would which, be spectacular. 
I I think it'll be cool. It, it it's one of those things like where you know, and I was I was shut up with this about the Last of Us because like the Last of Us did the same thing. I was worried about like if the the game is already so cinematic, like what more is a yeah. movie going to add to it? You know, Last of Us is already very cinematic and like it made a very good show, and they found new notes to hit with that um that they weren't gonna were just doing in the game so that's made me a little bit more optimistic it feels like filmmakers are starting to take video game properties a little bit more seriously than they used to like so maybe not a whole lot more but what vi what video game would you love to see adapted because i there's oh. one that i would love to see adapted but i don't know if they could do it and that's uh, Bioshock. Oh, see, Bio, Bioshock. There have been attempts to make a Bioshock movie, a couple of them, and they they uh, never quite got off the ground. But some of them got pretty far. I would not be surprised if we see a Bioshock movie at some point in the future. I think my pick would be Half Life. Um, okay. Half Life just has an incredible world to it, and uh, yeah. uh, I, I love just again. It's there. There's sort of a um, lone nerd against the universe against like forces he can't possibly wrap his head around uh and you just gotta keep going you know so i think there's something really intense that you can make and, with that uh especially since portals in the same universe yes oh god i would definitely want a portal game i don't know how well that would translate with like the puzzle yeah. segments but or a po yeah portal movie yeah, well, I want more Portal video games too. Come to think that of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Nabbit, give me more uh, of those. Elf, make a third game. Come on, put it on my VR headset. I don't care. I'll play that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, do we have anything else to say about Seven Samurai or Seven Samurai Twenty XX? Um, I just want to say that if you have not dipped your toes into Kurosawa, dip your toes. Uh, yep. like, I, there's never a person I have like. Um, I have made what sit down and made them watch even my father who hated subtitled movies when mm -hmm. he watched seven samurai for the first time he's like he looked at me and his gruff man manly voices that was a good movie um you know and it was like these movies are spectacular um and like and i'm definitely it's really interesting how my brain is working um i love watching subtitled movies mm -hmm. uh, that aren't in english because i can't be on my phone uh i like i they demand my attention and then you've got some of the greatest work done by the great one of the greatest directors of all time uh yeah. so definitely you can if you don't like samurais if they're not your thing watch high and low it's, mm -hmm. it's so fucking good um but definitely get started on watching some kurosawa films yeah you'd be uh, surprised at how engaging they are and i mean for for us like the three of us are all pretty damn busy people you know like with all the different commitments to the comedy and theater and our full-time jobs and you know just human interaction like all these things that we're kind of committed to it's pretty hard to find time to set aside to watch a movie this long you know so it was so nice to just kind of like set aside an afternoon and then, like you said, Javen, just fully disappear into a movie. Like you can't look at your phone. You can't like be playing like video games or anything while you're watching this. You have to engage with it and just kind of vanish into it for a while. The, the movie makes it so easy on you. It's so entertaining and delightful and just kind of conveys all of human existence, you know, in this very simple, very exciting, very fun story. Yeah, and I think I can also lend an interesting perspective on this. I don't typically like 
uh, black and white movies. Yeah. Um, I just because it's not that I don't like them, but it's just that I usually struggle to keep interest. Um, And then to double that up with, oh, this movie's also not in English. Uh, Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great time. Uh, I imagine most other people would also enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. Uh, well, let's talk about our rankings then. I think we might be uh, uh, pretty clear in our rankings here. But each week we are ranking the movies from uh, good, good movie, good game to bad movie, bad game, or anywhere in between. Uh, I I think I've been pretty on the record here thinking that this is one of the best films ever made. Uh, I think it's pretty untouchable. It's kind of a masterpiece, and it's hard to deny that. And the game is hot trash, and I'm still going to play it. <laughs> so... Take make of that what you will. It is uh, it is a a poor quality game that I kind of like. Look, I understand for, somebody for reasons that may listens, not have to do with the game. Yeah, as someone who still listens to Limp Bizkit, <laughs> I get it. So Sometimes you understand. You just need that garbage media to consume. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Uh, great movie. Bad game. Yeah. Uh. Great, absolutely great, spectacular, classic of cinema movie. And um, I'm going to say, I don't feel like, I don't want to say bad game, but I'm going to say a weak game, a very weak game. It's... It's a very game. missed opportunity, but uh, a hearty recommend for Ghost of Tsushima. Like very good, yeah. very <laughs> good game. Spectacular. Yeah. That's a spectacular game. I mean, pretty, pretty unbelievable game. Uh, well, thank you everybody for listening. We have been Cinemarcade. I haven't plugged this in a while, but you can uh, you can email us at cinemarcadepodcast at gmail dot com uh, or at Instagram at cinemarcade underscore podcast. You can find us there. Uh, if you're in the Austin area, come to Cold Town Theater this weekend. I'm in a show called Transplantic City that I'm very excited to launch. Uh, that's that's coming up this weekend and every Saturday in March. Uh, what do you guys have anything going on you want to plug? We we haven't really done that very often, but this we're recording this the the same week, so like we we have the uh, we have a minute here. I mean, uh, I'm not up to anything this weekend. Uh, uh, I'm in the uh, show uh at the hideout at uh 4 p.m um this sunday hell yes yeah that's uh boy is that the lord of the rings based show yes yeah, it, is. it is okay i wasn't i'm always so behind on which show's running um uh, but yeah well uh, this, so this week, of course, was a J-Band's choice, and uh, traditionally, the seasons dictate that the next episode must be a Justin's choice. Justin has not told us unless, what his choice is going to be. Unless J-Band initiates a series. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it just, just takes a whole month for Aliens, which I appreciated because I love Aliens. Yeah, honestly, they were great movies. That was I a good month. Before. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I, I already know what I'm going to pick. Okay. And I think I already know what the results are going to be of this. Oh, boy. So, as a kid, right, I read a lot of young adult novels. And one in particular about a young kid being recruited by the English Secret Service or whatever, uh, the Alex Ryder series was one of my favorites. And so uh, there is a movie that they made in 2006, Alex Ryder, Operation Stormbreaker, also apparently had a video game. 
I own the game sealed in the box. <laughs> I have not seen the movie. I have not seen the game. I can only guess based on the adaptations of many of the properties of my childhood during that era uh, that it's not going to be great, but we'll see. Should, that I, should one... I read the book before I watch the movie? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you want to, I still have a copy of it and I might read it ahead of time. Um, I don't I, think I, I will... finished that series. I think I, I got almost to the end and then tra trailed off, so... This has to be one of the hardest pivots that we've ever had from episode to episode where we're going to go from talking about Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai to Alex Ryder Operation Stormbreaker, a, uh, a spectacular box office bomb at the time of release. A movie, yeah, now I have never seen it. I have no concept for what this series is. I, I've never heard of this. And it's so rare for me to have never heard of something. Yeah, no, I, I I know about it just because I own the game and because uh, I, I think I saw the game on a shelf. Well, we can get into it next week, but I saw the game on a shelf. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. It looks like it's based on a movie. Oh, shit, it's based on a movie. I'd better grab this. Uh, so, yes, tune in next week. We were going to find out about Alex Ryder Operation Stormbreaker. I'm very excited to see what the hell this is. Yeah, I, I pulled up our spreadsheet. I scrolled down a few. I saw it and was like, that's it. <laughs> I don't have to Man. scroll any further. I gotta say, you two really just kind of implicitly understood the assignment for the J Band's <laughs> choice and Justin's choice this week. I, I love getting surprised like this, and man, you you both uh, uh, definitely shocked me with your choices. So good on you. We will see you next week for Alex Ryder Operation Stormbreaker. We'll see you then, y'all. <laughs>